or available to you. Commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good morning, church. A few, I guess maybe a month ago, uh, I mentioned from stage that feels like spring outside, and one person booed. And that person was Stephanie Jones. I know that because she came up to me later and said, no, we don't want spring yet because it's all going to turn into a disaster on my farm. She must have prayed because winter has got his claws in, right? Last week, we talked about Jesus' worth and so for these three weeks, we're going we're gonna to be looking at different aspects of Christ's character, his attributes, uh, and just, just taking a moment to marvel at who he is, right? And so what I love about what Aaron shared with you last week is um, his worth. And when I think about his worth, he landed exactly where I would have landed, which is in Revelation 4 and 5, which is this incredibly beautiful picture of, of John having this vision of the throne room. And it says that, that the Lord is holding the scroll and that no one is worthy to take the scroll and John starts to weep, right? It's, 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 you get this feeling from reading the text that, that all of human existence, our own humanity, our, what God's created hinges on this moment of someone being able to open this scroll. And so John looks around Nobody's able to do that. And he hears a name, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he turns and he sees the slain lamb. He says, that one, worthy is the lamb who was slain. There's a, there's a piece of Christ's character that I think puts his worth on full, full display, this brilliant display, and that's, that's humility, his humility. So that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, so as we go through this, what I'm, what I'm going to do is present to you three different pictures of Christ leading up to his death on the cross. And what you're going to find is that you're going to see an equal part of his divinity and an equal part of his humility playing out at the same time. And so I want you to, to look for those. So this, this week, um, we had a baby a couple weeks ago. My parents are here now. My, uh, my dad asked me this week, I told him I was gonna be talking about humility today, and he said, when was the first time you remember being humbled? And it, it took me way too long <laughs> to figure that out. And then I started to struggle, am I humble? I, I don't know. But it led me to think about this story when, when Maranatha and I were were planning to come to Alaska. We had actually joined a ministry, and through that process, we were, we were pregnant with our first child. Uh, I sold my home and quit my job, which is not, that's not the look you want as a young man, right? Homeless, jobless, and your wife's pregnant. So we moved out of our house and with some friends for a little while, and then we got hooked up with some people who intentionally do this. They have a, a spot in their house for people who are transitioning into ministry, and so we, we actually got noticed that we were going to have a boy, have our child the next day, and we left, and we moved into this, this uh, very typical southern woman's house, 
her and her, her husband have a garage apartment. Uh, so we moved in. It's just all the characteristics, small, blonde, twangy, you know, she's got that accent. And so we meet her and she's, she's introducing, showing us around, showing us the apartment. And then she takes us downstairs and gives us a tour of the house. And my wife's very pregnant. And then she introduces us to these two dogs. And one of the dogs is this old beagle. And I mean, it's, it's very old. It's, it's deaf, you know. And then she introduces us to her next dog. And her next dog is dead. I mean, dead, dead. It's blind. Its hair's falling out. Its hips don't work. And the whole time she's saying, this, look at our Irish Setter dog, which is a pretty decent-sized dog. She's telling me all the reasons why euthanasia is not right. And in my head, I'm thinking, if you just give me a shovel, I will take this dog outside and dig a hole. And he will say, as I throw in the dirt, thank you. <laughs> so we go and have a, have a baby. And then a couple weeks later... She comes upstairs and she says, hey, we're going to be out of town. Would you mind taking care of our dogs? And I thought, I don't want to do that. Okay, I'm going to take care of your dog, right? And so taking care of this dog meant like picking it up from the porch and taking it out. Like you don't open the door and it goes, right? You actually physically have to pick up this Irish Setter, which is a pretty big dog because his legs don't work. can't go down the stairs. It's also blind. doesn't hear. (laughs) And so, uh, day one, the beagle, the old dog, gets attacked by bees. Take it to the vet. Day two, the Irish setter, it died. So I have to call them and tell them their dog died. Where would you like me to bury this dog? I would like to bury this dog. Please let me bury this dog, right? No, no, no. They say, please don't bury the dog. We want to bury the dog. And I understand that. It's their dog, right? And so I wait a whole day. And this is in July in South Carolina. This dog's skin was having trouble staying on while it was breathing. Now we're talking about a whole nother day. And so they come home and it's in the back of their Polaris and we're digging a hole. And of course, the hole is not in some plush prairie. It's like in the middle of a forest. And we're laboring away at cutting through roots to dig a hole for this dog. And it's sitting there. And my wife is in the house with the baby, right? And I'm thinking, man, this is not what I want to be doing. And so we pick up the, finally pick up the dog and put him in there. And I'm like to wipe, you know, the stuff off from this dog. I can't decide if that's humiliating or humbling. Is there a difference? When you're you're talking about being humble, it's not what is done to you. It is describing who you naturally are, right? Right? To be humble is to take a low view of yourself. Picking up this dog, I should probably not prioritize myself, but care for this other person who's lost something, right? So we're going to look at three scenes, the first of which is going to describe to you in brilliance 
God's humility while also telling you about his divinity. So the first one is his triumphal entry. The text says this in John 12. This won't be on the screen, but I'll read it to you. It says, uh, 12, 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey. And then it says, his disciples did not understand these things. But if you're looking at that, and you're, you're seeing this crowd gather around Jesus and cry out, Hosanna, king in the highest. And then you look at Jesus and you think, why is he riding on a donkey? Such a very interesting question. It would be like if you, if you looked, uh, if you were going to see Queen Elizabeth, right, who's normally in a Rolls Royce, yeah, in her brilliance, her wealth, driving up on a Vespa. <laughs> Thank you, Google and Photoshop, for that. <clears throat> it's not what you expect, right? It's not what you expect to see. This is, this, these things don't match up. How do these things go together? And yet somehow he's, he's coming into Jerusalem on the, on the week of Passover and he's both uh, making a proclamation of his kingship and his humility. text in Matthew 21, which is parallel to the John passage, says this. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. See, Jesus didn't have a need to proclaim his divinity. He wanted to show you his humility, he has no need for pomp and circumstance. He already is the king. But doesn't he have access to a horse? I mean, he's the owner of all beasts, according to Psalms 50, right? The owner of a, a cattle of a thousand hills. So why not a horse? Just a horse. Certainly he's got access to one, right? So there's got to be a reason why he's using a donkey, Right? It's not just that it was prophesied, but that he actually went about doing it. And so I want to look at three things regarding uh, this donkey. What, what is said in this prophecy so long ago in Zechariah that is now being fulfilled the week before his crucifixion. So number one, why a donkey? It's actually recorded in Matthew there that this is not just any donkey. It is a son, a young son colt. It's not the father, it's not the daughter, it's the son. If you go back to Levitical law, in order to make a sacrifice, you need a male. If you go back to the first Passover, it's the, the firstborn son that's in danger of losing their life, right? And so you mark the doorpost to save the firstborn son, Mark 9, 30, 
37 says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And so what's happening here is that the donkey being a son resembles the one riding it as the son. And so we now understand that Christ is the son of someone greater than him. It's not just a son, it's number two, is a, a son who has never been yoked. Mark eleven two records this. It says, uh, go into the village, speaking of choosing the donkey, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. There's three places in the Old Testament that talk about um, using unyoked animals for sacred things. This is Numbers 19.2. This is the statute of the Lord, of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer without defect in which there is no blemish and on which a yoke has never come. And so I can't think of a worse situation to ride in as king. First of all, you have a donkey. And second of all, you have something that's untamed. You know what happens when you get on an untamed animal? They don't like that very much. They want you off of them as fast as possible, right? And so here's the Lord on an untamed animal riding in. This is craziness, right? And yet, Another way of putting it, to, to have never been yoked, is to say that it was never mastered. It never succumbed to anything of the world. It never had to work. It was never a slave to sin. And you can certainly say that of Christ, the rider of the donkey. Those two things pale in comparison to the third one. If you notice the last thing in Matthew, it said that uh, this needs to be a cult, a beast of burden. The whole purpose of a donkey, its best attribute, is to carry the weight of something. It's exactly what happens when Joseph sends his brothers back to their father. He says, load up the donkeys with all that they can eat and take it back. The donkey is the one carrying the weight of the load. It's supposed to be yoked. Its purpose is to be yoked. The beautiful thing about this is that this picture of him riding a donkey now becomes a picture of him carrying our burden. See, Christ's purpose, his, his coming is so that he could take on our burden to remove our sin from us. And so it's not just by chance that he gets on this donkey. It's actually a, a reflection, the donkey and him working together 
say this is how you moved toward, he moved toward kingship, right? Is through his humility, through his service, through him coming to the earth and giving himself for us. So he assumes the guilt and the shame and carries the burden of sin. Humble and riding on a donkey. Philippians 2.8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so what's the difference between the zombie dog that I'm dealing with and the picture of the donkey? Is that I didn't really choose to move into this house and help them with a, a dead animal, right? But Christ, before the foundation of the earth, said, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. See, he chooses to step in to our misery, to our world, and take on the burden of what we carry. See, true humility humility is not being made to lower yourself. It's choosing to do it. Choosing to go that route. It's God's desire to make himself low. So last week, uh, I was standing outside. It was Saturday. Standing outside, I was cleaning my car. I drive a white Honda Accord. And uh, as I was cleaning it, which is, you know, with kids, it's like just a disaster, right? There's goldfish everywhere. Um, Just kind of put you in like where I was mentally and emotionally digging out goldfish from the backseat, right? And I hear this sound that I don't normally hear on our road. It's a sound that car enthusiasts are are very much a fan of. It's that like deep, guttural muffler, like, yeah. And so I eyes lit up. I was like, what's that? I looked up the street and there came this dream car. Black 67 Chevelle, just rumbling, you know? Yeah, that's that's amazing. I love that. Uh and he comes up and he parks at the kind of the end of the driveway, actually my neighbor's driveway. And I thought, I'm going to go talk to that guy. You know, I want to I want to get a closer look at this thing. You know, I don't really care what he has to say. Maybe maybe I could get in it. You know, press the gas pedal. It's probably a big difference between my gas pedal and that one. <clears throat> And then right as I'm about to start walking, I look over my neighbor's street and there's a girl in a prom dress walking up the... And then so the culmination of all that kind of set in, you know, here's this high school senior, 17, 18-year-old guy, and here's me cleaning out goldfish, <laughs> right? What's wrong with this picture? Needless to say, I didn't go over there. And in that moment, all I could hear was Joshua Velstra's words, don't sell your truck, man. Don't sell your truck. 
we came to we came to Alaska. I had a 2010 Toyota Tundra TRD package. It was gunmetal gray on the outside, gray interior, capstan chairs, had a tonneau, tonneau cover on the back, and that sounded a lot better than a Honda, right? But I, at some point, about four years ago, knew that I had to give up my truck because kids are better than trucks. And if I was going to convince my wife to have another kid, I had to give her a car that would suffice in doing so. There's got to be room to put these people in there, right? And so now I get my workout, my squats in, getting in and out of a Honda all the time because we switch cars. You have the Suburban, I'll drive the Honda, right? See, if you're just looking at the picture of me, me cleaning out this Honda and this guy driving a Chevelle, you don't see all of that, right? You just think, why is that guy driving a Honda? That doesn't make any sense. Look at him. The Honda comes to here. <clears throat> How does he fit in there? Does he have to stick his head out the window? <clears throat> But it's, it's the desire that comes from it. It's my choice. I want that. And I, to be honest, I have to remind myself that I wanted that, right? And so Christ is not, is not being forced or made to do this. He's actually actively giving up his life in order to, to come after us. That he, he humbled us. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is his humility to to lower himself to our, our place. It's absolutely incredible. So the second picture, first picture comes from John 12, second picture is John 13. The Last Supper, John 13, two and three says, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so the next logical step is for God to ask for more wine, to to celebrate this thing that he's received? You could argue that, right? You could also argue that he might say, okay, guys, it's time for you to wash my feet, right? That's not what happens. He stands up and he takes off his garment in the middle of dinner. Just imagine this. In the middle of dinner, they're eating, having a grand all time, and Jesus stands up and takes off his cloak, ties a towel around his waist, and says, I'm going to wash your feet. It'll make you feel real awkward. So today, we're going to lock all the doors, except for these three doors. And I've got some bowls over here. And Aaron and Drew and Chris, because there's only three doors, are going to uh, stand over here and they're going to wash your feet as you leave. Everybody in here. You, everybody in here just said, no, uh, 
That's not happening, right? It's exactly the same thing that Peter says, except it's God, not, not a pastor here. God is saying, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter goes, no way. You can't wash my feet. Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. I've, I've actually already cleaned you, not everybody here, but now I need to wash your feet. He says this, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. See, Christ isn't just teaching them verbally from the synagogues. Hey, this is how you should do it, right? But do as I'm doing. Do as I'm doing for you. And so the teacher not only is is the teacher from the pulpit, right? He's the one that's in the trenches with them, serving them, giving them an example. A teacher serves the student. It's, It's divinity and humility at the same time. And I can tell you that 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 kind of teacher, it just does, it's not even comparable to the one who refuses to serve, right? Those are the people that you go after. That's who I want to be like, not just, not just be molded by, but I actually want to live in the same way that he does. And that's what Christ's doing for him. There's a there's a time when Jesus is, is overhearing this conversation. He says, um, what are you guys talking about? He says, no, don't worry about it. Um, we're just talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. He says, whoever the, is the least among you will be the greatest there. And this is his example of that. But he goes a, a, a step further than that, maybe, maybe way beyond that. Because he's not just like washing their feet He's wearing the towel, right? He's got it tied around him, and he's bent down at their feet. Washing with the towel attached to him. One of our favorite foods to feed our kids is spaghetti. And you know you've done something wrong when you get to the end of the meal and you have to just throw that away. Just take that onesie off and throw it out, right? It's actually none of our kids have graduated from you got it on your face yet, right? And our youngest actually wears the bowl and it's all over him. And so you get the kitchen towel, you wet it and you wipe him off and you got to scrub while he's in the high high chair, right? And then you look at the towel and you go, I might as well just get rid of that, right? Like it's just not, it's not worth it. Christ is actually, you know this, this is preached so much that Christ is is down next to their feet, up from the table, washing their feet, and you know how gross that is already. But what I read this this week, what I'm struck by is that he's taking it on himself because he's wearing the towel. He's not separating himself from their mess. He's right there with it. He's putting it on himself. This is not unlike a picture that is soon coming in John 19, where Jesus is standing in front of Pilate. The text says this, 
Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail the king of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Divinity, we just called you the king and now we're going to slap you. Right? So divinity and humility working at the same time. Jesus is down on his knees washing the feet and then he's getting beaten and a robe hung on him. And if you go into Revelation, the, the, the images of Revelation is that, is that the white that the saints wear is their righteousness and the whore that rides the, the beast, guess what she's dressed in? Scarlet, purple, declaring royalty. And so Jesus is taking his white towel and taking on your sin to resolve you of that. And he's gladly doing it. Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This is him acting it out. Let me show you. This is exactly what I'm here for. Third picture is the cross. It's an act so humiliating that we can barely comprehend it. We try to wrap our brains around it all the time and we understand that, that he, he got on a cross, right? That he came to, to die on a cross. But when, when we stop and we start to think about what, what actually transpired throughout this time? So the picture is that he's nailed to the cross and the soldiers begin to lift him up in place, which is exactly what he said he was going to have to do, that the Son of Man would be lifted up. And yet John 10, 18 says, no one takes it from me, speaking of his life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. See, his, his humiliation is willful humbling, is choosing to go about lowering himself. And this very act is the act that institutes his reign. The lower that I go, the lower that Christ goes, the higher God is going to exalt him, right? God's kingship depends upon his humility to lower himself, to die for us. And it's at that moment when he's resurrected that he's seated at God's right hand. The whole Old Testament is pointing to this one moment. Christ the King, our Savior. So it's 
it's the first step is in his in his path to humility is that he he left this glorious perfect harmonious place a place without sin a place without defect and he simply existed with us here right that's that's step number 1 is is leaving there and then he puts on mortal flesh step 2 and then he kills his flesh and that is a, a sign of his of his humility but but what's outstanding from that is that he's He's choosing to do it, and as he chooses to do it, he's, he's serving us in the process. He's lowering himself, not just to say, I am the king, but to show us. By washing feet, by riding a donkey, by willfully and joyfully hanging on a cross. All three of these pictures that I've just given you are pictures of his divinity and his humility working together for us to worship and praise him like nothing else on the planet because there is no other God like Jesus. Not even close. No other religion comes close to this. Not even Judaism, because they reject Christ. So I'm going to read this passage to you from Isaiah 53. The, the word humble is not in this passage, but as I read it, if you want, you can, you can close your eyes. I'll try to read it pretty slowly. I want, you to, I want you to hear the words that emphasize his humility, what he went through, what he joyfully endured for us, what we did to him in the process. Isaiah 53, verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no stately form or majesty to attract us, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took on our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, struck down and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, 
we are healed. What God is that? What kind of God goes through that for the thing that he created? For the thing that he possesses the power to to wipe out, to start over? His name is Jesus, the humble servant who willingly and joyfully came to die. goes into worship there'll be several ways for you to respond there'll be a prayer team over here in the back you can grab communion you can get up and you can sing praises to the name on high Father would you humble our hearts in your footsteps to see your glorious example and worship you with everything we have for you are good you are kind you are glorious majestic above all else and you are humble riding on a donkey washing our feet with us and we're so glad to hear from you because our Lord is alive and he speaks and it is our glory to obey him Um, about 10 years ago so maybe longer than that um, I was driving as fast as I could go with a bottle in my hand drinking as hard as I could just hoping my car would go off the road I hated myself, I hated life, and there was no way that God could fix this. I had disappointed Him and people and myself. In that moment, I was just flooded by the grace of God. I had to pull over, and His love just poured over me as He hit that place of just deep, deep sorrow and regret in a way that no one ever could and that I could never attain on my own. He rescued me. The next day I woke up, tears streaming down my face as, he, as I realized that God does not want to give me plan B. But right here, right now, Dory, I give you plan A. Right here, right now, plan A. And that's It just started a brand new open, wide open space of his blessings and his mercy and his grace. He's my best friend. He's my closest companion. 
He's with me wherever I go. There's no place I go. When I was making my own bed in hell, He was there because He promised to never leave me or forsake me. That's the God I serve. That's the God who loves us. I'm so, so grateful for Jesus. say no to Christ because he went so much lower than you. There's no situation in here where you can say, I'm too far gone. I'm, I'm too far broken. He did it for everybody, everybody in here. Christ's humility is our healing. It's the on-ramp to restoration and we get to say yes to him. Yes, that's all, that's all it takes. Yes, I want what you have for me. Yes, show me who you are. If that's you today, tell someone, pray, ask him into your heart, into your life. And make sure that you tell someone in this room that you want and desire that.